everyone, Ying here. On April 30th, about a month ago, TechBuzz hosted our second investor webinar, which was also our third ever online event at the time. We featured Shang Ku, the CFO of M17 Entertainment Group, or M17.Asia, a live streaming company that's popular in Taiwan and Japan. What follows is an edited replay of Shang's presentation, which took the form of a fireside chat with Ray. Before we get into today's episode, a quick reminder to visit us online at techbuzzchina.com, where you can sign up to be on our mailing list, subscribe to our bi-weekly Extra Buzz newsletter, hear from us about future online events, and generally keep tabs on our adventures beyond podcasting. For example, we're working on an e-book on the most talked about Chinese internet company this year, ByteDance creator of TikTok, and just published our first annotated transcript of an interview with the CEO, Zhang Yiming, from a few years ago. Take a read. It's super interesting. Right. As we mentioned in the last episode, we are taking a break from our regular programming for two to three months, and in the meantime, we're experimenting with new formats like this one. Definitely let us know your feedback. And as always, we're still looking for more reviews on Apple Podcasts. Send us a screenshot of your review, and yes, past ones count as well, and we will gift you a free three-month subscription to our Extra Buzz newsletter. Just email us at rui at techbuzzchina.com. As background, we've done at least four episodes on live streaming here on TechBuzz. In order, some of these episodes are seven, which was cheekily titled How to Win Fans and Influence Losers, episode 43 on gaming live streaming, and episode 54, which had a lot on e-commerce live streaming. Please go check those out. The President's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network by China. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. TechBuzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma. And I'm your other co-host, Ying Ying Lu. We'd like to acknowledge our partner, SubChina, creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs. And we are also proud to be partnering with the Financial Times Tech Scroll Asia. It's a newsletter on Asia tech news from one of the best publications in the business. Go to ft.com slash tech scroll Asia to sign up today. So hey guys, today we're here to talk about live streaming. We'll be focusing on xiuchangzhibo, which I'm going to translate as entertainment live streaming, so as to be distinct from esports or gaming live streaming or e-commerce live streaming. Like we said in the introduction, you've definitely heard us talk about this concept before. Attentive listeners probably remember us talking about the Chinese company that is best known for this business model. That's YY. 
It's actually now called Joy, spelled with two Y's, and it's been a publicly listed company on the Nasdaq since November of 2012. It's now at just under six billion dollars in market cap. It was actually founded in 2005 as a gaming portal, and eventually had a hit video communication tool that was a precursor to the entertainment live streaming it's known for today. Most recently, we talked about its success internationalizing. That's in TechBuzz episode 56, not just TikTok: a short history of Chinese short video abroad. Although to be fair, YY is mostly popular in developing countries like India and the Middle East. But anyway, a lot of YY's revenues come from virtual gifting. That happens during live streaming. And also to shape the conversation for today, we do want to point out that entertainment live streaming, as we know it, has actually been around for a while in China. The industry experienced a huge growth spurt in 2016, during which the so-called Thousand Live Streams War took place. It wasn't quite that many companies, more like 300 or so. But 2016 is when a lot of stuff got started, like Taobao Live and Huya. The gaming live streaming company that's actually spun out of YY. Anyway, we have an episode in the works on live streaming e-commerce, and we just did an offline event with our community on esports. The recording to which you can find on our YouTube channel. But today's episode is mostly on entertainment live streaming and how it's different in developed Asia versus China. Joining us today to talk about this topic is Shane Ku, who grew up in the U.S. but has been living in China in the past、mm, almost two decades. He is the CFO of M17 Entertainment, which recently raised a Series D of 26.5 million dollars, led by Vertex Growth Fund. So, congratulations to M17. Prior to that, Shane was the CFO of Jiayuan, which was the Largest dating website in China and a publicly listed company in the U.S. before it was taken private in 2015. He has also worked in equity research at Piper Jaffray and Oppenheimer, covering online games and entertainment media in China. And he was also a VP of research at Capital View. So Shane has a lot of experience in this industry. I personally met him 15 years ago when he was the head of research sales at Pacific Epoch, and I was still a tech investment banking analyst at Merrill Lynch in Palo Alto, reading about Chinese consumer internet, and I was like, "Wow, all this cool stuff happening in China tech!" I was very lucky to meet Shane on one of my trips to China. So thank you, Shane, and also to Paul who founded Pacific Epoch,、uh, for giving me the opportunity to learn about Chinese internet way back when. Thank you very much for having me, Ray. So, M17 Entertainment, we we are the largest live streaming platform in developed Asia, and what we mean by developed Asia is mainly Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong. So, we're number one in all three of these markets. In Japan, we have about 60% of market share by revenue in the live streaming market. In Taiwan, we have about 60% as well. We are getting into all types of live streaming entertainment, and the business model, for the main part, is gifting model, which is very similar to the YY type of business model that you described before. The reason we are focused on developed Asia is because, well, one, it's very difficult for us to get into China, but at the same time, I think if you look at our product and if you look at our vision and mission, it is a fairly Western-centric type of product. It's weird because I'm saying Japan as more of a Western-centric, but in many ways, Japan is much more Western than the rest of Asia. 
uh, it has influences from the U.S., from from Europe. In terms of cultural development, in terms of how our entertainers, how, how our artists see the platform in Asia, they see M17, 17 Live as a platform to allow them to express themselves, to entertain their fans. And it's much more of a Western-centric type of entertainment, very similar to how influencers in the U.S. do it. In China, most of it is actually still very factory-driven in terms of you would have a, a union, a gonghui. Uh, in, in Chinese, where they would have a couple of uh, apartments where they, they subdivide each room into a live streaming studio and people come in, they, 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 they sit down at a desk, live stream, and then the next person comes in. It's much more about just making money. Whereas for M17, we're, we're not really about just making money because for most of our entertainers, the amount of money they make from gifting from 17 Live is very similar to amount that they would make minimum wage as a entertainer or, or a minimum wage working at a 7 than waitressing at a, at a local restaurant. You make a good point here that basically the influencer economy in China is quite professionalized. It's not like something that people are doing for the sake of their art or out of pure interest, like we might think here in the U.S. It's a whole ecosystem where you can go to school to learn the tricks of the trade, and there are effectively large agencies you can sign with who will help promote you and groom you. To understand how this all works, I really recommend listeners to go watch Hao Wu's People's Republic of Desire, which is a documentary that follows two top YY influencers, and which really opened my eyes into the entire industry. And by the way, Gonghui is basically like an agency for live streamers. Without going into too much detail, a lot of them are now either owned by or also operate MCNs, multi-channel networks. And basically, these are both businesses that influencers sign with, who will then represent the influencers and sign partnerships with the various live streaming or short video platforms. You get a lot more functionality on these platforms after you're signed with the MCN. Anyway, that's not really how it's like outside of China though, right? Yes, yes. I would say in China, because so much of the business is driven by the, the Gongheis, by the MCNs in China they have a much more of a factory setting to just bring thousands of entertainers in, train them, sponsor them in terms of gifting inside the platform to get their ranking up higher. So it's like self-spending. The platforms build up the influencers themselves. And that's why the economy, the live streaming economy in China is so developed. But at the same time, these MCNs really control the market. Whereas in the West, in Japan, in Taiwan, to some extent in the US, I would say the entertainers are much more free and are much more are independent in, in many ways. Got it. Speaking of differences between the West and China, one of the main differences that I keep on hearing over and over, whether it be for general entertainment live streaming or music live streaming or whatever, is that the tipping mechanism that's so popular in Asia is a cultural thing, possible only within a specific ecosystem, aka China, and can never work in the West. What's your take on that? Do you think something like M17 or a competitor could work in the West? You know, the, the only place where they tip at restaurants is the U.S. So <laughs> tipping is not a Chinese phenomenon. If you think of entertainment, entertainers, artists, mm -hmm. artists from the beginning have been sponsored by the nobility. Michelangelo, when he's painting, he was a starving artist until some noble really gave him a lot of money to paint the 16 chapels, everything. Mozart, Beethoven, they've all had sponsors. Mm -hmm. And that is tipping 200, 300 years ago. Now you see the same thing on Twitch. 
You see it on M17. You see it on all the Chinese platforms. Tipping is just appreciation for art. If you go to the street corner, there's a performer that is doing the magic show, doing、uh, playing the guitar, and he's got a tipping hat in front of him. People are tipping. What a live streaming platform allows is very similar to the street corner tip in that it's right there. But also, there's the interaction that you get. So if the, if you're in front of a street performer and the street performer comes directly to you and interacts with you, you're much more likely to tip the street performer. The personal interaction works, and that's why people tip. But once you have live streaming platform, you're just not seeing the street performer for the first time. You're seeing him again and again. You're seeing him every day, and if you see him for a month straight, you're much more likely to tip him a much larger amount than if you saw him for the first time. It's appreciation for the work, and it's also social interaction over time. In many ways, I would say a lot of our entertainers, a lot of our artists on the platform, they would make great salespeople because they remember everything about their gifters. They have to have a really good memory. They have to remember all their fans who came the last couple of days, who sent them what gift, what their favorite song is, when their birthday is, when their wife's birthday is, when their kid's birthday. They remember everything about the family, so that there's the Personal interaction, and that really increases the gifting. It, it works everywhere. But at the same time, you can think of live streaming as a high school popularity contest. So the the live streamer artist is streaming, but fans watching. There's this popularity contest going on, and people compete to give a bigger gift. This social element is really what drives the monetization, what drives the spending much higher. Because these people all know each other as well. That's the added element where you don't get in the street corner.、But、we're also seeing that a lot of our streamers become gifters as well because they're in the community. There's the mutual gifting and mutual appreciation because they go watch other streamers and they gift to them. A lot of our big spenders also start streaming as well because they've become known in the community and they think they want to share their life. It's definitely going to work in the U.S. It worked really well in Japan. We're bringing the same kind of social interactive element, all the same features, to the U.S. I'd have to agree with you. I don't think the habit of tipping money for entertainment is specifically Asian at all. What else can you think of, Shang, that people generally get wrong about this business? Is there anything you find yourself having to explain over and over? I, I think in our business, because it's gifting, a lot of people. Tend to think we're a whale-driven business, and they think that's bad. Whales, as in big spenders. They think the high ARPU is very bad. I would say yes to some extent. We do have a higher concentration of revenue than other business models, but I don't think that's a bad thing, and I don't think that's abnormal actually. The eighty-twenty rule is pretty common for almost everything. I would say even traditional businesses have a lot of the eighty-twenty repeat customers. Or there's just one vendor, one buyer that's responsible for five, ten percent of your overall business. A lot of people look at the revenue concentration and they get a little bit scared. But for us, it's more of yes, the revenue is concentrated in the top, let's say, five hundred thousand spenders and streamers. But as long as we make sure that the top one percent of our streamers and spenders, as long as that pool is growing larger and larger, that naturally. Reduces the concentration. So as our platform is growing bigger, and as we get into more regions, so now we're Japan and Taiwan, and we're moving into U.S. and MENA markets. 
as we move into more markets, we are regionally less concentrated, and that naturally gives us uh, much more of the decentralization. But but we actually don't think concentration within the top one percent of spenders is a bad thing. It's just in a natural way things work. If you watch the People's Republic of Desire, you definitely get a good sense of how much the whales can spend. It's a scary amount of money, and it's entertainment actually for the rest of the people watching. The gifting itself is almost part of the show. So COVID nineteen has boosted a bunch of digital businesses, and in China, in terms of entertainment at least, we saw gaming and short video get big spikes in usage. How has it affected M seventeen's business? I assume positively. Yeah,、uh, we've definitely gotten a lot more users and a lot more revenue. Japan's doing amazing right now. We have a lot of traditional artists. Before, they, maybe they were a little too good for Seventeen. Their popularity level is a little bit above where people would start on Seventeen. So they would already have gigs at local bars and nightclubs. They're spending the prime time、uh, nine to twelve performing at the bars and the nightclubs. But now. They are bringing their performances to Seventeen instead. So we're getting a lot better content, a lot more content that traditionally we might not get, and that's definitely helping a lot with our with our revenues and and user growth. Do you think that's something that's going to be permanent, or is it too early to tell? It's too early to tell. We're cautious. We want to make sure that we don't overinvest, and we're we're all of course always worried that six months from now, if the economy gets worse, the spenders won't have this money. So the performers will still be there, the users will still be there, but the ARPU will drop as vendors start spending less. We're very cautious, but we're we're seeing good things so far. Is there anything else that's happened that those of us who are outside of the industry would find unintuitive or unexpected? I wouldn't say it's unintuitive, but we are definitely seeing a lot more just new entertainers coming to our platform because. Some of the agencies that we work with, before they would send their models to the runway fashion shows, they would find other jobs for them. But now they're all sitting at home, nothing to do, and Seventeen offers them additional income source. It's where the gig economy that's not affected by the lockdown. So we're seeing a lot more new artists giving our platform a try. Previously, we did a lot of offline events as well because we tried to do a lot of mini online events that culminate in a big offline event. We're doing none of that right now. I would say in February and Early March, that's actually affected our business quite a bit. So, without the big offline event to cap off the entire event campaign, you can think of the, our events as missions in the big raids in World of Warcraft. I guess you can tell how old <laughs> I am now. So, so without the big final, big offline event, that actually affected our revenue early on. But over the last two months, we've successfully moved our offline events online. That actually saves us money as well. Is that going to be a permanent change for your platform? I think a lot of users are still want an offline event because a lot of times they still want to meet the artist in person. So eventually we will have, but we'll probably decrease our dependency on the offline events. And now we have some questions from the audience. Eric, you're first. Hi Shang. Hi Ray. Shang, it's nice to see you. I just have a quick question. You mentioned earlier that a lot of your performers are、uh, making minimum wage type of revenue off of your platform. I guess one difference、um, I would note about YY, from what I understand, is that you know they face concentration on two different sides of their platform, not only from the whales on the paying user side, but also from the performers. You know. 
making a lot of money off the platform. And so there's a bargaining situation that happens there as well. So for your platform, it sounds like you, from the paying side, you also have whales, but how do you prevent kind of a concentration of revenue generation from the performer's side? Because in my head, I almost think that the two sides being concentrated go hand in hand. Um, mm -hmm. So how is that dynamic different for you versus some of the live streaming platforms domestically inside China? We still have some concentration with the entertainers, the artists as well. So you, you are correct that they go in hand in hand. But the difference between our platform and the Chinese platforms is that the Chinese platforms depend much more on MCNs. And the MCNs, because they control so much of the, the ecosystem, they actually uh, have more bargaining power. Because the MCN can say, I can bring in 1,000 streamers with 10,000 viewers to your platform, 10,000 paying viewers to your platform. And you have to give me X percentage revenue share. Else, I'll take it to more more instead. Whereas for 17, because uh, most of our uh, top entertainers tend to be independent as well, they have less bargaining power. They're not going to, they're not going to push our margins to zero like the MCNs would in China. So I think it, part of that could also be stages of development, whereas YY has been around for, for much longer. And also because YY had existing MCNs or had had a lot of unions, gongkuis, from the very beginning. Whereas for M17, we've actually had a lot of artist development and artist management experience prior to starting out as a live entertainment platform. Great, thanks. Cool, Paul has a question. Paul, do you want to unmute yourself and ask? Thanks for the great presentation. This was really interesting. I'm wondering, you're saying that the influencers in developed Asia, you have a process to manage them and to either groom them into influencers or you know how to manage their expectations. What are those expectations in particular and how do they compare to the Western influencers? Thanks. I would say the influencers in developed Asia in Pan and Taiwan are very similar to the Western, to the U.S. influence. It's the glory and the fame that they're seeking. They get a high from audience watching and applauding them. So whether it's a gift that's a dollar or a hundred dollars, they get a high from the acknowledgement. And that's something that's a little bit different from developing Asia, where they much more care about making the money because for them, it's purely a job. Whereas for our artists, more about developing their careers. So in Taiwan and Japan, we do give them a lot of opportunities to shine. In, in Taiwan, for example, we have partnerships with some of the top TV stations. We co-produce TV shows, live TV shows, where our artists, our top streamers can go on the television shows. We also produce our own live shows where our artists can come up, be a host or be a participant on our shows. We're finding that, yes, the fame and acknowledgement is much more of a incentive in developed markets than purely monetary rewards. All right, one last question for me. What are some of the trends or products you think Western companies should be watching closely from Asia for inspiration? Well, live streaming, definitely, because in the U.S. it's non-existent. I think oh, Twitch is making very big waves right now. The entertainment live streaming business in the U.S. is still very fresh. It's still a greenfield market. So if you think of Netflix as replacement for television or the TV series for the movies, then live streaming is the replacement for the reality shows, for the talk shows that you would see on, on traditional TV. And similarly, live radio would replace the podcast, the radio show. Instead of Howard Stern taking questions from listeners, 
you would have the live streaming version of Howard Stern receiving virtual roses and virtual virtual yachts as appreciation. So we are seeing live streaming as placement for not just entertainment, but also in some ways social interaction. And uh, actually, for for Taiwan for the election earlier this year, we actually had all the top candidates from all parties coming onto Seventeen and live streaming to their fans as well uh, and to their supporters. Yeah. I could definitely use some virtual yachts. Well, we're seeing some innovation around live audio right now in Silicon Valley. Actually, what with the invite-only Clubhouse app making waves a few weeks ago and getting funded at a valuation of a hundred million dollars. But we'll see where it goes. I have yet to get on it. Anyway, that's all for our time for today. Thank you so much, Shang, for joining us. Even though it's a holiday for you. Thank you, Ray. Thanks, everyone. Well, that's the end of our recording. What did you think? Send us your feedback. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to write us that review for your free Extra Buzz subscription. Have any questions? Email us. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we are always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at the Pandaily at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is ruima. And my Twitter is spelled G I N Y G I N Y. Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on Sub China. Pandaily dot com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Tai Wei Chen and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening. 